You don't want me keeping track of stuff. So Angela's going to be the one keeping track of things and who's bringing what, but a wonderful time to just hang out together. All right, Matthew chapter 10 is where we're going to be heading. So if you guys want to take out your Bibles, we continue our journey through the gospel according to Matthew. We're now in the 10th chapter. And as you make your way that direction, let me just remind you that this uh, message that we're going to be in over the next several weeks is the second of the discourses through the gospel according to Matthew. And this is actually a call to mission. So as Jesus is teaching here in this 10th chapter, he really begins the mission discourse back in chapter 9. So I'm going to begin reading this morning, actually in chapter 9, verse 35, uh, as we uh, have our introduction. Uh, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness, every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep with no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. And so the call to mission actually begins there in uh, chapter 9. And what it looks like are these uh, three steps that I've got laid out here for you. And the first thing it begins with is compassion, right? Jesus there has compassion upon the people. As he looks out there over the sheep that have no shepherd, he is compassionate over them. Now, a few weeks ago, I spent a little bit of time talking about us as sheep, and I probably belabored the point that as sheep, you know, we've got some difficulties. We're, we're not always the smartest. We don't always make the best decisions. And, and I probably beat that into your head a little too much. I want to remind you, though, while we may have our struggles, uh, Jesus looks upon his sheep with compassion. He loves his sheep. He is the great shepherd. He loves us enough. He came to die for us. That's a lot of love to have upon uh, the sheep. And it, so it begins with his compassion upon the people through his eyes. So through the disciples' eyes, they see the people and they see annoyance. They see uh, disdain. Let's get these people to get out of the road so we can make some headway towards where we're trying to get. But Jesus looks upon them and he sees that they're lost and they're weary. He does not just simply see their problems. So it begins with compassion through the eyes of Jesus. And then secondly, he instructs them to pray. That's the next thing that they're supposed to do. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. So in other words, pray before they were called to just go act. Now, this is a very difficult thing for men who struggle with patience, like me. Often, uh, I feel like God's put something in my path, and I'm ready to act. Angela has realized she has to be careful with me in this over the years, because if she gives me a task, I'm not too worried about how many bodies are going to be laying all around, because the task is going to get accomplished. But what Jesus is encouraging these men to do is pray first, act second. And so the encouragement there is is to pray. And as they become compassionate for these sheep, what we find is when Jesus calls us to pray and he puts something on our heart, something moves us, that oftentimes we actually become the answer to our own prayer. So he tells them to pray for the Lord of the harvest that will send workers out. And what we found last week when we looked at the apostles being sent out, the very people he told to pray were the people he sent out to do the work. So they became an answer to their own prayer prayer. And prayer, I put up here for you too, it's not just sitting around with our legs crossed, meditating, contemplating the length that's in our navel. That's not what he's talking about in terms of prayer. He's talking about active waiting. Like we're we're active in this prayer life, that 
while we're praying for things, we're still establishing, you know, different ways that maybe God's going to put this on our hearts. So we're getting prepared. We're studying the word. What's, what's he maybe got for us in this next season? It's, it's actively waiting upon him. And then thirdly, what we see is when he gives us the green light, go. That's, I've thought about that a long time. When he tells us to go, we go. Not, in, not delayed, not think about it a little while longer, not to have paralysis by analysis. I'm going to think about everything that could go wrong, but instead, just go. And, and so finally, these men were called by Jesus, sent from Jesus to do the work for Jesus. So that's where we're going to begin this morning. But uh, I, I think I, I teased it a little bit last week, too, in terms of these discourses throughout the gospel according to Matthew, that there are actually uh, five of those. And they line up with, uh, interestingly enough, the five different uh, books in the law of Moses. And so uh, as Matthew is presenting his gospel to a predominantly Jewish audience, these little good Jewish boys and girls that go to to Shabbat services every Saturday, they're going to know their law. And so the first five books, the Pentateuch, they would call it, Uh, it lines up with these five different sermons. So a few weeks ago, we covered the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And and the theme there is the righteous kingdom of God being declared. And it lines up with the book of Genesis as God unveils his plan for the righteous kingdom to actually uh, take place here on earth. Uh, Our study today is going to be in Matthew 10 and over the next several weeks with the mission discourse. And the point of the mission discourse is to go out and serve, to go serve people, to to bring them into the kingdom of God. What do we find is the second book in the Pentateuch, but the Exodus, God bringing his people out of Egypt through the wilderness and to the promised land. Thirdly, the parabolic discourse. This is where Jesus teaches in parables in Matthew chapter 13. It's, It's the kingdom laid out in parabolic form, but the focus of these parables is on sanctification. And it lines up with probably your favorite book, Leviticus, right? We get into Leviticus and we're like, what in the world? But the point of the book of Leviticus is really all about sanctity. That's a being set apart from the rest of the world. And so we see the focus of the kingdom parables is on sanctity. Fourthly, then, we've got the church discourse in Matthew 18, where Jesus lays out what the church is going to look like, the ecclesia. He's organizing the church. This is what it's going to look like after my passing and then in the book of Numbers, as God actually organizes the children of Israel there, they came out as slaves. They had no idea how to be a nation. So he gives them a way to become and to be a nation. He organizes them. And then lastly, with the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25, that's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus gives it on the Mount of Olives. And the focus of that is on his second coming, the consummation of the end times. And, and as Moses wraps up the law there in Deuteronomy, he mentions a a prophet that's going to be greater than Moses to come. And the Bible puts a capital P because it speaks of Jesus and his coming. And so there's the five discourses of Matthew. And there uh, we see we are going to be focused in on uh, chapter 10 in the mission discourse. Now in this discourse, we're going to see really three main uh, messages that are going to come out over the next couple of weeks. Our study today is going to be a call to mission. And this is a specific call from Jesus in verses 5 through 15. And really what God wants us to do is to to get up, to go out, and to get involved. Right? We're like the Blues Brothers up there. We're on a mission from God. Okay, nobody saw the Blues Brothers. All right, you can go back and watch that edited version of that on TBS. 
Okay, uh, the second message is going to be uh, the consequences of the mission. As Jesus sends people out, he doesn't want us to go out uh, ignorantly. He wants us to know very clearly there are going to be trials and tribulations as you go out to serve uh, in my name and under my name. So the good news is you've been called. Uh, the, the bad news is the difficulties are going to come. So count the cost. That's really what Jesus is going to share with them in this second portion of the message, verses 16 through 24. But then uh, lastly, he's not going to leave us in that spot where we're just thinking about all the things that, that are going to be trials and tribulations that come against us, but to co- consider the completion of the mission. That, that the reality of this is the scariest place on earth is really outside of the will of God. That the safest place on earth can look like, by our eyes, often the scariest place, but it is the safest place you can be, and that is in the will of God. You can literally be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace along with the will of God. You're completely protected. There's no harm that can possibly come to you. And so the the question really comes to us in, in these times that are so troubling and full of fear There's nothing in this world to be afraid of. That's ultimately what Jesus is going to share with them. Don't don't be afraid of man and what man can do, what this world can bring against you. Be afraid of him who created the world, right? The the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the one who can destroy both body and soul, but that also means at the same time, he can protect body, soul, and spirit. He can protect all these things. And so while we have all kinds of fears out there before us, like we might possibly run out of toilet paper, right? This week it wasn't toilet paper. We've got enough teepee, but, but what happens if there's no water? I don't know. I turn my faucet on. It seems to come out the other end. I'm not sure. But what, what, nevertheless, there are, there are concerns, there are fears that are out there, and what Jesus is saying is, is not to fear, but to trust. All right, so after the longest introduction into Matthew 10 ever, let's begin in verse 5. These 12, these are the 12 that we talked about last week that Jesus called. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded to them, saying, Do not go the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preaching, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. And then verse 11, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who who in it is worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house, shake the dust off your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so where Jesus begins in verse 5 is is he says this, uh, start at home. And so the initial call to mission is to start right there at home. And he sends them specifically to the lost sheep in the house of Israel. Now, Jesus isn't saying that they have no shepherd at all. He's just saying they don't have a good shepherd. And so for these sheep in Israel who are being led astray by bad shepherds, I want you to now go and round them up, be a good shepherd to them. And when we first read this, we look at it initially, at least I do, and see that Jesus is commanding them who not to go to. 
Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. And it seems a little harsh, frankly. And if you go to Romans chapter 1, Paul actually continues with this theme. In Romans 1 verse 16, this is what Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And so Paul gives similar instruction to the church there in Rome. But what I want to share with you is uh, for Jesus commanding and Paul also commanding them to begin at home, it's because these people had a basis for what the Scripture said. The, the Jewish believers had been going, again, to services every Saturday. They would go and they would listen to a reading from the Torah. And so they had a base of knowledge. They were churchgoers is essentially what Paul and Jesus are commanding these people to go to. Go to the churchgoers because they have an, an initial basic understanding. You don't have to start from scratch, in other words. So if you just think about it logically, if you want the gospel message to be spread, you're going to start with people that at least know something to begin with. You don't have to start from ground zero. You can, you can begin from some kind of a base, and you can send them out. And then there's something else to this. What Jesus is essentially telling them is if you won't share Jesus with your neighbor, if you won't share the good news at home, then how am I going to send you to the ends of the earth? How are you possibly going to go all over sharing it with everyone if you won't share it with the people closest to you? And now we can read this and we can immediately think in our minds that maybe Jesus just wants me to stay home. I'm just supposed to lock the doors. I'm not supposed to go share the message with any Gentiles out there. Sorry, but most of you are probably already Gentiles. But we get this idea that I, I'm not supposed to go and share it with the world. And so it can really hamper foreign missions. And that's why it's important to not just read a little bit of text, but to read it all. What the Lord commands them to do in Acts chapter 1, up verse 8, is uh, to go to Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so I didn't mark this one and cheat. I'm going to have to flip there with you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, But you shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's actually a pattern that Jesus laid out there for us. It's begin in Jerusalem. Who's close to you? It's the same pattern, by the way, that we follow with the missions that we support here at this church. If you look out there on the board, you'll see four missions. That's intentional on our part. It begins with Jerusalem. We support a standing stone and the carpenter's table, the, the food pantry right here in town. That's Jerusalem to us. We're trying to affect the community here locally. And then uh, Judea. We support Chi Alpha, which is here on EIU's campus, but they also bring in a lot of... Uh, of foreign students that come in. They, they meet here every Friday night in the basement. They have small group meetings. And so we support them on a monthly basis as our Judea. And then we look at uh, Samaria, out, out beyond just our, our area, our region, our county, and we support Open the Gates Fellowship, where our good friend Daniel Messiah, who was here back in October, he, he, he shares the message with Muslims who are uh, looking, searching for answers. And so He's looking to convert Muslim people to Christianity, and he's located in North Carolina and also has another mission set up in San Diego. And so that's our Samaria. And then lastly, the ends of the earth. We have Bethlehem Christian Academy, where we support children overseas through BCA. They're getting a Christian education. They're getting 
uh, one meal a day. They're getting the clothes put on their back and new shoes as they grow all the way up and through high school. They're now actually having high school classes over there. And I'm excited that in 2022, we're going to take a trip over to Zambia. So be thinking about that. File that away in your mind. We're going to have an opportunity to go see what's going on at these schools. Uh, I'm going to get a chance to teach to pastors that are planning churches off of this. And so you see this pattern uh, beginning with what Christ commanded them to do, but it all starts at home. Now then continuing in verse 7, what Jesus says is, as you go preaching, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the command to begin with was go to these lost sheep and now preach. The, the message here is to preach not just anything, but preach the kingdom. To, to preach literally just means to herald. It means to teach or to share with emphasis, with some emotion. That's, that's what it means. Any great king would be first heralded that his coming is coming soon. There, there would be people that would go out, their job was to just say, the king is coming, get prepared. That's what Jesus is uh, giving these guys as a charge to go and do. And the message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you go back to Matthew 4.17, when Jesus began his ministry, this is the same message he took to the people. And so he's not asking them to share something that he hasn't already been ready, willing, and able to share himself. That they're going to simply share the same message that Jesus gave, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now then, I want to turn with you to Romans chapter 10. And it's for this reason, because many of you are going to say, I don't feel like I'm comfortable with sharing. Do I have to do it in words? And unfortunately, in part, yes, you have to share. You have to open your mouth in order to share what God is up to. Romans chapter 10, this is the importance of this. Verse 14, Paul writes here, How shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him and who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? For as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes through hearing the word of God. Now again, you're probably thinking, I don't feel comfortable sharing the word. I don't feel like I've been called in to be a preacher. Here's what I want to share with you today. All you're really called to do is declare what God is up to in your life. What's he up to with you? What's he up to? What's going on in your circle? That's really the message that he's put upon you because the, the truth is people are always watching. There are people always watching. And I don't mean in a creepy, like, I know what you did last summer kind of a way. But I, I mean, people are watching how you handle situations. How, how do you handle when trials and tribulations and things come into your life? And then as they see you handle it with grace and poise and in prayer, and, and maybe there's, there's some fear involved, but you're putting that upon the Lord and laying that at the feet of Jesus, they are going to wonder what is different about you. Why are you able to handle things so differently? So then as they wonder, and as a little side note, this is why sanctification is a big deal. This is why being set apart and handling things differently and not doing everything the world does is a big deal. And I've shared with you the analogy, it's as a ship is in the ocean, right? We are to be in the world, not of the world. 
So a ship is out in the ocean on the water. That's a good thing, but if the ocean is in the ship, that's a very bad thing. That's called sinking, all right? That's a far different deal. So, so we want to be in the ocean. We're out there in the world. We don't want to be the, for the world to be in us. That, that's called sinking. And so uh, when they look upon your life and they see how you handle a situation, they are going to ask, and the question is, what are you going to share? This is now your opportunity to share why things are different for you. And, and, and if we're not careful, whatever we're inputting in our life ends up being output upon them. So, so whatever I'm taking in over and over again, and I'm listening to, and I'm watching, and I'm hearing, uh, those are the things that I'm actually going to share, which is why uh, we push and promote Bible study reading plans. So you can take in the Word of God. You're not going to be able to share the Word unless you have first taken it in. And so uh, the question really becomes is, what will we share? That, that becomes your testimony, ultimately. Now then, back to Matthew, in verse 8, we begin, or we, we continue, there to heal the sick, to cleanse lepers, to raise the dead, and to cast out demons. And so they were called to actually go and do the miraculous. Jesus gave them power, authority, to essentially do the same, the same things that he was doing. Now, often in church, you'll hear this thrown out, why then don't we see miracles today? If, if, the, if the gift is still there, why don't we see miracles happening all around us today like what they did in Jesus' time? Now, there are some denominations that say, well, the gifts of the, that the Spirit gave at this time, those went away after the early church. It, they, were, they were early church nitrous oxide that they needed to take off and go spread the gospel message all over. Um, the problem with that is that it's not actually in the Bible. And so uh, I'd rather stick with what's in the Word, which is that uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that tells us that the gifts are all still open and available, uh, but I think in large part, a lot of the issue is just like when Jesus was there in Nazareth, it's said that he could do no great miracle because of their unbelief. The people didn't believe that he was capable of doing the supernatural, and so therefore he did not. It wasn't that he didn't have the ability, it was that they didn't have the belief. And, and somehow that belief, and I don't understand the equation exactly, but, but Jesus comes together with the belief and then the miraculous happens. Now, if you look through the book of Acts, what you would find is that in, in a totality it covers about 30 years of time. Now, in that 30 years, there are 31 uh, different miracles that actually take place in the book of Acts which tells me that that's roughly, by my bad math, uh, one miracle for every year that's in the book. Now, if we ask ourselves, and we're really honest and just sharing, have you seen a miracle in the last year? I'm guessing if you open your eyes and you ask around, you probably have seen a miracle in the last year. In, in foreign countries and the churches all over, they're seeing the miraculous uh, happen in droves. But even just right around us, you know, we, we've had the wonderful opportunity to pray for a young man whose father had had a, a massive heart attack, the widow maker, that they like to call it. And he's there in the hospital. They've told him there's no chance that you will ever be able to talk to him, so come in and tell him goodbye. And two weeks later, that gentleman had Thanksgiving dinner with his family. That's what I call a miracle. There's no explanation. There's no scientific reason why this should take place, and yet it does. 
I was in church service a few years ago, and we were, we were praying over someone that had asked for healing, and, and a lady had gone to lay hands upon this person who had asked for healing, and, and, and then she, she turned and she looked at me, and she started to do this. And she said, Pastor Brock, my hand. I'm like, yes, that is a hand. I, no, she goes, I haven't been able to move my hand in 10 years because of arthritis. Jesus just healed me. She wasn't even asking for healing because she had enough faith to pray for someone else. Jesus healed her. And so the reality is he's very much at work today. And if we probably brought all these stories together, we could in this room come up with 31 miracles that we've witnessed just like the book of Acts. And so that's really the point of this is that he is capable of doing the miraculous. And yet even for Jesus in his ministry, at some point in time, he stopped performing miracles because people just wanted the healing. They didn't want the healer. They didn't want him. They didn't seek him because ultimately he's offering supernatural, eternal healing. That even for these people that had family members raised from the dead, you know what happened? They still died. <laughs> Eventually they still died. For every healing, the ultimate issue here is death is soon to follow except in the case where it's mentioned in Acts and throughout Scripture that for all those who call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. The ultimate healing, the ultimate healing you could ever witness is the resurrection of a soul. And that's an eternal healing, folks. That's the thing that we really stand back and marvel at. That's the reason we invite people to church so we can see that healing take place because it is forever lasting. It's not just temporary like a physical healing is. And so that one is available uh, to one and to all who would just call upon his name. Now then the second half of this verse says, freely you have received, freely you give. And then he goes on in verse 9 to say, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag in your, for your journey nor two tunics nor sandals nor staves for a worker is worthy of his food. And so Jesus' command to them is to go out in faith. I want you to leave from here and to go in faith. Now, any vacation I've ever gone on with my wife, she has never had enough faith to not pack a bag. Uh, I probably look like this guy going through the airport far too many times, more times than I could count. In fact, our recent trip to Arizona, I counted up, we had 22 bags. 22. I think we had 13 check bags. I mean, the guy at the stand thought it was the wildest thing he'd ever seen. I'm like, listen, this is what we're packing light, brother. Here we go. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm calling you to trust me in this, uh, to, to pack lightly, to go. And, and uh, what I wanted to mention to you is that his trade, Jesus' trade was as a carpenter. If you've ever come across any carpenter that's a good one, uh, they cherish their tools. They cherish the instruments that they need to do their job. I'm an awful carpenter because I can never find anything. Right? I have to have kids follow me around to just pick up the tools as I lay them everywhere. But, but Jesus is saying, look, I'm a good carpenter. I'm going to keep track of the instruments that I'm going to use to fulfill my purposes. Now, he mentions to them that they cannot give, at the end of verse 8, what they have not first received. So if you have not received the power of the Holy Spirit. If you've not received salvation, there's no way that you can actually share so that other people can have it. You can't give it unless you first uh, received it. 
Now, the question might be, too, when we look at this, is the Lord telling us to sell everything? Maybe that's what he's saying in this passage. We're to go out, to sell everything, and to just live a communal life. Um, you could take that, or you could go with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 35. This is what Jesus addresses these same disciples. He says to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? And they answered to him, nothing. We didn't lack for anything. And then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him go sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that that this, which is written, must be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have come to an end. And so they said, look, Lord, we have two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. They were kind of missing the point what he was trying to share. And, and that is this. There are times where I'm going to call you to act in complete and total faith with nothing. And there are other times where I'm going to give you plenty to go out. The point really isn't the stuff. We get so focused on the stuff and what is he sending me with and what is he not. The point is trust. Do you trust me? Do you trust me in this uh, situation? And that's similarly to what the Apostle Paul is saying back uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, this is what uh, Paul writes. He says, Not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, content in what Jesus has given him. I know how to be abased and how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned to both be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. But here's the point. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about what I'm taking or how I'm going to get there or what or any of these other things. It's about who I'm taking with me. It's my travel companion. And what Jesus is saying is wherever I send you to go, I'm going to go with you. And if I go, you're going to have more than you ever could possibly need. You don't have to pack all these things and weigh yourself down with all this stuff because I'm going to be there. Continuing on then in verse 11, Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear my words, when you depart from that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so what Jesus is instructing these guys to do is go where there's an opening. If you want to know where to go to be in God's will, pay attention. Look and see what he's up to and then go join that thing. He's not looking for us to go out and do a bunch of things and say, all right, now Lord bless it. I'm going to do this. Now please come alongside me. No, he's saying pay attention to what I'm up to and then go in that place. And when you go, he's going to open doors. And as he's opening doors, places for you to go, you're going to find uh, that they are worthy of your presence and that you are worthy of theirs. And do you often think about that, that you're worthy? I want you to understand that today. If you don't take anything from this message, understand this, that you are worthy. You are worthy not by your own account or not by your own works, but you're worthy because he said so. He's the one that decided that you all are worthy. 
In fact, when we get into the kingdom parables, he's going to compare you to a precious pearl that he buries in the earth and that you're so valuable he's going to sell everything as in his own life to buy you back. You're worthy. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 38, chapter 11 in Hebrews is called the hall of faith. And you see all these great men and women of faith that are there in that section. But when you get to verse 38 as they talk about uh, the others, they they named great men of faith like Abraham and Moses and, and, and the writer goes on and on about them, but then they get to all these other men who've suffered persecution. What verse, 30, what verse 38 says is that the world was not worthy of them. That they were persecuted, not because they did something wrong, but because the world was not worthy of these men. And so I, I ask this to say in verse 14, whoever is not worthy won't receive you. If you've ever been in a spot or you've been in a place where you've not been received, and I'm going to try to tap dance around this as kindly as I can, they were not worthy of you. That includes churches, by the way. So if you've ever been hurt by a church because they did not receive you, they did not welcome you, they did not want to fellowship with you, they did not want to interact with you, it's because they were not worthy of you. It's not the other way around. And so often we feel like I, I'm leaving here uh, like Wayne and Garth. I'm not worthy. Oh, the reality is they were the ones that were not worthy. But the opposite is true. When you arrive to a place and you are received and you are welcomed, it's because uh, they are worthy. And you are worthy all at the same time. Now then, uh, it's important too to understand what Jesus wraps up here in the verse 15 It's that for those that reject you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Which, by the way, if you don't know the story, fire from heaven, bad day for Sodom and Gomorrah. Completely wiped out off the face of the earth. If you go to the Dead Sea area, you can look out to where it was. Uh, It's a salt pile. Not great for them. So the reality of it is, uh, they're not actually rejecting you. They're rejecting him who sent you. They're rejecting Christ living in you. They're rejecting God. That's the real issue with the rejection. And and so rather than just uh, throwing them under the bus and walking away, yes, Jesus is saying, shake the dust off your feet. That much is true. We're not to look back and go try to, you know, figure it all out. But, But the reality is, as Christians, we are to pray for them. We are to pray for them, to lift them up, to lay them before God, because the truth is judgment is coming. Like there is going to be a day where they're going to have to answer for that thing for that rejection, but that does not put that back on you and I. So praise the Lord for that. So now we've gone through this first message about the call to mission. And if I'm in your spot, at least what I'm thinking about, I think about this every Sunday. Uh, Am I actually, I've read all this about being worthy, but, but am I actually worthy of this calling? Am I really qualified to do this? And so when we think about what qualifies us to go out and to be on mission for Jesus, we go all the way back to the Old Testament into the book of Leviticus is where I want to take you. Again, I know you guys love spending time in Leviticus and in the law. So as you make your way back to Leviticus 21, I want to just share with you the two primary functions that the priests had, that they held uh, there in Israel. And, And they were this. One, they were to represent the people before God. They were to take sacrifices from the people for their sins, and and including the sins of the priests themselves, but they were to lay them before God. They were the conduit from uh, 
the people to God, to present them to him. And secondly, they were then to represent the God before represent God before the people as well. And so as God would give them a message or give them a word, they were to then take it and present it before the people. Here's what God has to say, which is why, by the way, God takes being misrepresented so seriously. So if you ever wonder why did Moses not get to go into the promised land, well, it's because he misrepresented God. It doesn't mean God didn't still love him. By the way, if you look uh, to the end times, Moses gets to go to the promised land. So it all ends up good for Mo. Don't worry about him. But but the reality is they were representing God before the people, something he took very seriously. And then he called a specific group of people, and in fact, he called a family. The, the tribe of Levi were the ones that were called to be the priests, and not just specifically the tribe of Levi, but then also one son of Levi, a son named Aaron. So the descendants of Aaron were the ones that were supposed to be the priests, and then in, verse, in chapter 21, starting in verse 16, God gives them even more direct commands for the sons of Aaron. He says in 21, uh, verse 16, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of life of his God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach, a man who is blind or lame, a man who is marred in the face, or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand, or is a hunchback or is a dwarf, a man who has a defect in his eye or eczema or scab or is a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron, the priest, who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his, of his God. He may eat of the bread of his God, both of the most holy and the holy, only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect, lest he profane my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. So now you talk about some rules. God has ratcheted this thing down to where it's only a very select, small group of people, and even for these men, they are to have no defect whatsoever to approach God. And then we get to the New Testament. And we think, wow, I'm never going to be able to approach a perfect God. There's no possible way with all of my issues and my problems I could ever even get close to God. He, he can't possibly work through me. And then you get to an interesting spot in Revelation uh, chapter 1. This is what John the Revelator writes about us, the church. He says this, verse 6, of chapter 1. And he, Jesus, has made us kings and priests to his Father, to his God and Father, to be to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to reread that in the middle of verse 5 because I missed a little bit. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when we look at all these qualifications and all these requirements that you would have to fulfill in order to serve God as a priest in the Old Testament, what you find in the New Testament is that the perfect blood of Jesus is actually what has washed all of us as white as snow. And so when he looks upon you 
and you reflect upon your defects and your fumbles and your failings and all the things that you have done wrong, do you realize he does not even see you? He sees the blood of Jesus, perfect, holy, just the way he laid out in the Old Testament. He sees everything you are supposed to be, always. And this is what makes you and I worthy to serve, worthy to share, worthy to go out and share what Jesus has done in our lives. The reality of it is, if you call yourself a Christian, he has called you. He has called you today. And what Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3, and I'll finish with this one last verse. Verse 14. He said, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize, ladies and gentlemen, is the call. To be called sons and daughters. To be called into service. That's actually the prize. This is the unbelievable. When we look back on our lives, this makes you shake your head and while you cannot help but smile, this is why we get to serve here at church. We don't have to. We're not going to ask you to do anything you don't want to do. You, you, you literally get to serve the King of Kings, and the prize here is that you and I were called to do it. It's unbelievable. Him trading his righteous standing, his perfection, for my imperfection, which is precisely why he calls 12 guys who are tore up from the floor up. I mean, there's no, none of these guys are qualified based on what we just read. And yet, because of Jesus, he says they're worthy. And he says the same thing about you and I today. And so, Father, thank you. And we praise you. We thank you so much for a call to mission. A call to go out. A call to be sent. A call to represent you, Lord. What an unbelievable and humbling opportunity this is. And yet, because of your sacrifice, we get to be called worthy to do it. And so, Father, as we come here before you, knowing that what you have called clean, let no man call unclean, uh, we appear here before you, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord, for that. If anyone here, Lord, doesn't have that as, as a moniker that they can hang on to, that I am cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, Lord, please give them the courage to come talk to me just for a minute. Lord, you don't require anything out of us other than we come and drop down on our knees and just tell you that we love you and that we're sorry and that we repent. And that's it. And it's all done from there. You do the rest. Lord, thank you for transforming us from the inside out. Thank you for taking our heaping pile of mess and turning it into beautiful pearls. Lord, we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand so we can sing our closing song. Everybody say happy birthday, Matt. He's going to help us out with this one. What a friend. Here we go. Everybody has trials and temptations. Everybody knows heartbreak, isolation. Lay our burdens down. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's to us.
every horizon and forever and ever as hard as my home everybody has fears everybody got worries everybody knows sorrow devastation we can lay our burdens down lay our burdens down what a friend we have in Jesus east to west my sins are gone and I see grace on every horizon and forever and ever as hard as my home no more betrayal for he is faithful he fills me up and my cup runneth over no more betrayal for he is faithful how he has proven it over and over no more betrayal for he is faithful, he fills me up and my cup runneth over. No more betrayal, for he is faithful, how he has proven it over and over. One more time. What a friend we have in Jesus, east to west my sins are gone, and I see grace on every horizon and forever and ever as hard as my home oh forever and ever as hard as my home and the church says amen all right thank you guys so uh thank you for coming today also wanted to let you know that uh, not only is it matthew's 24th birthday today but in just a couple days it's baby madeline's birthday too so if you'd like to hang out with us uh, for a little bit, we've got cupcakes and cookies downstairs, so you're welcome to come down, get yourself good and sugared up before you go try to eat lunch. So we are looking to ruin not only your appetite today, but also your children, and you are welcome. God bless you. If you need prayer at all, I'll be up front for a little bit. Thanks.